This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. It's 4 o'clock. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. This is The Word to Stand Up for Life, and I'm grateful that you took the time to tune in today. As you know, this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or questions about things that are going on in your life, uh, questions about things going on in the world that we live in now. Uh, All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. Remember, if you are in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, Hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one more time is 340-9585. Well, normally I say it's Tuesday. We don't have anything going on. We'll get right to the questions. But of course, this is not an ordinary Tuesday. This is election day. I trust that you have uh, been out and voted or you are in line to vote right now. Um, But we all need to be committed in prayer, committed into prayer. One thing I would like to say to you about our our election, I I talked to you yesterday about it, so I won't belabor this, but God doesn't speak to kings, to presidents. He speaks to his church. We're the ones that carry not only his word, the Bible says that we're the pillar and foundation of the truth, not, not the occupant of the White House, not who controls the Senate or who controls the House of Representatives. And Christians, we need to really believe that because we've been called to such a higher calling. You know, we have our preferences and, and that's normal and probably it's even good. But we've got to be willing to put all of this nonsense behind us and focus on the mission that God has given us in these last days. Imagine if Jesus comes before January 20th. Then all the Facebook arguments, all the people you've unfriended, all of the relationships that have been shattered, all of that will seem really silly in the light of Jesus' return. And we really need to be focused on praying for revival. A revival start with the house of God, but they spread to the unbelieving world. And I think I mentioned this on the program, um, not Monday, but probably Friday. I've been praying a lot lately for a, a, a holy, dreadful fear of God to fall upon our leaders in this country. I want him to get saved in the only way. The fear of God, Solomon says, is the beginning of wisdom. And these men, they're not our leaders. We pray for them. We respect the offices. But these are unbelieving men and women, mostly. And there's a lot more important things going on in their lives, in their hearts and minds, than a Democrat or Republican platform. And as believers, we need to look a little bit higher than we've been looking. I'm not much for social media, as I think all of you know, but the church has been getting blasted 
I mean, absolutely blasted for being hypocrites because we become so political. And that's not our call. As good citizens, we vote. But for the Christians in this audience, most of you, who believe that our candidate is the candidate from God, you need to learn your Bible. That's what this program is about, knowing your Bible. God has all of the answers for the questions that we have in this world. We need to remember that ours is a higher calling. We need to look up. We need to be committed to the ministry of reconciliation. We need to realize that nobody needs our opinion. What they need is Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, in the study that I just completed this past Sunday, and he's going to mention it again this coming Sunday, but but he said, you know, I, I made the decision. I preached Christ and him crucified. There's nothing else that matters. That's our message in this lost world. And if we spend our time preaching politics, if we spend our time arguing with people, trying to convince them that our politics are the right ones, well, then we've lost our way and we've lost any power that we're going to have in these last days. So maybe you can join me in praying for a holy, dreadful fear of God to fall upon our leaders. I think of Jonah going to Nineveh reluctantly, for sure. But he went to Nineveh. At that time, the most wicked city on the earth, completely given over to idol worship. And Jonah shows up and declares the message, you've got 40 days, and this place is going to be judged. And this holy fear fell upon the king. And because it fell upon the king, it fell upon everybody else. And an entire generation was saved. An entire generation. For 80 years, they followed the Lord. Now they repeated, after 80 years, the sins of their forefathers. They forgot all about God. But I want you to think, in that 80 years, how many people became servants of God that we will be able to interact with in heaven? And we need that here. America is not a Christian country. America has always had what is called Judeo-Christian principles. But the principles have no power to save. It's the Christ of those values who saves. And he needs to be our message. And I just think with the, the emails I've had, the comments on this program, when I hear other Christians arguing about or hear reported to me about Facebook posts and I don't participate, I think we've forgotten that it's Jesus. It's just Jesus. So pray for our country. Pray for that holy, dreadful fear of God to fall. And maybe together we'll have a little bit more passion in praying for Jesus to return quickly. Well, let's get to questions that we've got. We love your live calls uh, on the program today. My first question is an anonymous woman. And she writes, I have something I need guidance with. I've been dealing with a few men this past year who both claim to be godly, and she's got godly in quotes, so I know we got trouble coming up, um, who claim to be godly or Christian, but who have each made attempts to use the Bible to justify having intimacy outside of marriage. I disagree with the way these men interrupt the scripture they're using. I like that. I've never heard that before. Interrupt the scripture. That's good. Um, or say something like, well, you know, God forgives and we're both consenting adults. One has even said that we are made to procreate. Now, I know who this woman is. And she's beyond the age of procreation. And so would any man who'd be dating her. But you see, facts don't matter when we want to sin. So procreation is not, as uh, she said, in my age, procreation is not in the plans nor ability, so it's not relevant. 
Or they'll say God designed us perfectly to be together. God wants us to enjoy life. I'm not arguing that God made us to enjoy life, nor that his design was not intentional for man and woman to be together, nor that he forgives. All those things are true. I just don't believe that any of that is grounds to be intimate outside of marriage. So I'm seeking guidance on how to use the scriptures and not just my stating of my desire not to be intimate to tell these two men and any in the future why well, I stand firm on this decision. Although out of respect for me, that should be sufficient, right? I've searched but cannot find direct scripture that I can use to set such men straight. I've looked for every key word I can think of. What scripture do you feel is the best to use to reiterate my stand on not being intimate outside of marriage. I have so much for you on this question or in this circumstance. First of all, any man who won't respect you enough not to pressure you to be intimate is a man you need to run away from. You don't need to engage him in an argument. You don't need to give him scripture. Now, I'm going to give you scripture. But you don't need to give scripture. Your body belongs to Jesus Christ. You've made that commitment And I so admire you for your non-compromising stand. But here's something I've been harping about for uh, decades. Just because somebody goes to church and claims to be a Christian doesn't mean they are. These are men who almost assuredly are not saved. And not only do they not respect you, they have no respect for the Word of God. They have no respect for Jesus, the living Word. So you don't need to justify why you don't want to be intimate. You simply let them know that, well, I'm looking for a man who loves Jesus. And obviously that man is not you. And so I'm going to keep looking. And God will bring you a man that he's preparing for you. And when that man shows up, you will know exactly who he is. So please, please, please run away and run away as fast as you can from any man who tries to put pressure on you and then tries to twist the scriptures to suggest that this can be okay. Well, you know, God forgives us and he wants us to be happy. Those are just the hiss of the snake, the lies of Satan. Not only that, but they're treating you not only with disrespect physically, but they're disrespecting your intellect. They're treating you like you don't have a brain, like you're just some little teenage girl that can be manipulated into giving your body away. Don't do it. Now, for the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. Sexual immorality. Uh, the King James and New King James uses the word fornicators. People who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, the principle is clear throughout Scripture. The problem is these men don't care about Scripture. Paul said, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. That's the way we live our lives. That's the way we live our lives. Just, you know, whatever I want, whatever I feel like, that's what I want. That's what it's going to take to make me happy. And that's a man who is living only for his own satisfaction, and he's doing it at the cost of respect for you. Now, let me take this one step further. Especially with adults, grown people, and you're a mature woman, Dating makes no sense to me. Now, getting to know somebody, having lunch with somebody, all of that I understand. But dating, instead of looking for someone to make a commitment to, is ungodly in principle. Now, if you go to lunch with somebody and you don't hit it off, that's fine. You can stop it right then and there. But this whole idea of dating, just so I can satisfy, or you could satisfy, some men's sexual needs, you need to protect yourself from that. I get questions like this all the time. And it breaks my heart 
that someone would try to use the word of God or misrepresent the character of God just so that he could take advantage of a woman who wants to please God. Ladies, please don't ever settle for somebody who doesn't love Jesus as much or more than you do. Christian relationships are wonderful, but they've got to be really Christians. And the real Christian wants to please God rather than pleasing himself or herself if the tables were turned. It always amazes me how people can come to church, listen to the word of God being taught, and somehow rationalize that none of it applies to them. And that's exactly what these men are doing. And they are disrespecting you, and even worse, they're disrespecting your Jesus. Hope that makes sense to you. I wanted to be as direct as I possibly could. Here's a question from Max. A statement, really. Uh, A statement and a question. I believe coronavirus is God's judgment on America. Do you agree? And is there a way to escape this judgment? Max, I don't agree with you that this is God's judgment. Now, I believe, and I've made this comment many times uh, in response to similar questions. Uh, I believe God is using this virus to shake out his church. I don't think this has anything to do with the world and judgment on the world at all. You know, the world is, is, is dealing with the same problem, the whole world at the same time. I think that's significant. But that's an opportunity rather than judgment. And by that I mean God is everybody in a position at the same time where he can get their attention if they're willing to hear, if they're willing to listen. And so I think, I think this is an opportunity God sees. I think for all of us, there's no greater time in, in, the, in the years I've been saved, um, there's no greater time to make an impact for the kingdom of God in the unbelieving world than right now because people are afraid. But again, that's not God's judgment. That's God using this worldwide pandemic and he's using it to get people's attention. That's the first thing. The second thing I said that God is using this to shake out his church. You know, churches are generally speaking, less than half in terms of the people who are there and people who are serving right now than at the beginning of this pandemic. People got in the habit of not coming. I think God is shaking out the real believers from the, from the false believers, the wheat from the tares. And I think we're going to be surprised at how few people really were uh, honest, committed disciples of Jesus Christ. They gave lip service. Oh, I believe we sang the worship songs. But there's people who aren't going to church anymore. People aren't serving Jesus any longer. They're just staying home because, well, I'm afraid I don't want to go out. And I think what we're going to find is that there's going to be a a smaller church numerically when all of this shakes out than there was before it started. But I also believe it's going to be a stronger church because the people there will be committed. So God is using it. But it's not his judgment. Now, is there a way to escape this judgment? I don't think so. And yet all the time, Max, I'm praying that God would do something miraculous. I've even offered to be his voice. Now, not because I'm anything special, so please in the audience don't misunderstand, but Paul and I have been talking about this. Lord, if you ask me, I mean, I need to know it's you. I'm not going to dare speak for you unless I'm sure. But, but I say, Lord, I'm available. If you want somebody, do something miraculous. What I've asked him is, is Lord, give me a time when, when I can say, uh, and I'll just use an example, at noon tomorrow, this virus is going to be wiped out. Everybody who has it is going to be well. And then, when that happens, I'll go back and tell them, Lord, I'll tell them that unless they turn to you, things will be worse. 
than they were before. And people will be, will be with that excuse. And, and I think that's important. I, I think I, God has done that in the past. Jesus told the man at the pool of Bethesda, go and sin no more and oh, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. He told the woman caught in the act of adultery, go and sin no more. And I would love for God to raise up a, a, a man or a woman who would say to the world, stop sinning or something worse is going to happen after God proved that he's the one in control of this. But I think, realistically, Max, every single individual is required to look to God on their own and find Jesus in the process. So no, I don't believe it's God's judgment on America. You know, if God judged America uh, and, and Christians were in on that judgment, that would be a violation of God's nature. Christians, we've been judged. Our sin has been judged already. Thanks for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Eric. He said, how do we worship like Romans 12.1 says we're to worship? I'm looking for the difference between genuine worship and false worship. Eric, I'm glad you asked. This is one of my hobby horses. Um, you know, genuine worship is worship that comes from the heart. Jesus said um, God wants men and women who worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, we think of worship as singing, but that's really not the concept behind what genuine worship is. It's sacrificing Jesus said to be my disciple, you must deny yourself daily, pick up your cross, and follow him. Now, to pick up a cross is an instrument of execution. And so when you pick up that cross, you follow Jesus, denying that you have any rights at all. We're simply servants doing what our master bids us to do. That's genuine worship. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in other words, in view of everything that God has done, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. You know, the Old Testament worships all the, or sacrifices all died. In the New Testament, we're to live. We're not to die for Jesus. We're to live for him. And when we are committing everything we are to him, then that's genuine worship. You know, Eric, we can raise our hands, we can get emotional music. Has that effect on people? Tears can come flowing down your cheeks, but if you're not being obedient to the Lord, then you're just pretending. One of the things I tell my worship teams all the time, and once in a while I'll also mention to the church, we have our words up on screens being displayed. I tell them, you know, before you sing those songs, before those words come out of your mouth, Make sure that you're living those words. We do a song, I Surrender All. And my, my first thought is, really? And, and the way I approach that song is, Lord, I want to surrender all. If I'm not surrendering all, then I'm not really serving you at all. And if I'm not, I want to be able to repent and get right. Let me close this question, Eric, with, with just something that's been my dream. We're inside about two minutes, I think, for this, this half of the program. When I was first called to be a pastor, six months old in the Lord, really not knowing anything about what a pastor does, um, I remember not really wrestling with Jesus about it, but thinking, okay, Lord, I'll do it, but... And I was so on fire for the Lord... I said, Lord, if, if you want me to be a pastor, I'll do it, but I want to be the pastor of the church committed and submitted to you. Church that will bring you glory. Church that's not playing church, but a church, a church that really is the church and understands what that means. And you know, in my zeal, and I was naive, but in my zeal, I just came, okay, Lord, that'll be the church. That'll be. And I prayed for that church. I still pray for that church. I think Jesus was sort of laughing in heaven because he's looking for that church too. He's been looking for that church for 2,000 years and hasn't found it. And obviously some churches do better than others, but can you imagine what it would be like? Jesus changed the world with 12 men who were completely committed to him. How much 
impact, how great an impact could we make on the world if we could find one church, 20 people, 50 people, 500 people, 5,000 people, it doesn't matter. One church where every time people walked in and out of that church, they were looking for opportunities to honor Jesus with their hearts, with their souls, and with their service. Eric, that's what genuine worship really is. You asking the question tells me a lot really good about your heart. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. The phones have been quiet, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show, Election Day, 340-9585. Maybe instead of Election Day, we should call it Prayer Day. This is the time that we need to be praying. Here's the first question. It was just called in to our studio producer anonymously. Do I have any comments on the YouTube series, The Chosen? Um, I, I've watched only the first um, episode. Uh, I personally liked it. Um, I, I'm, I'm not really technical, so I kind of got caught up in, well, how do you go for it? It seemed like they wanted to, wanted me to sign up and pay money or something to get the rest. So I haven't done that. But but caller, I did like the first one. Uh, I thought it was done in an excellent quality. Uh, I have the only heads up I've got, I've got a couple pretty mature Christians who have commented uh, to me that um, um, they saw some things uh, in, in uh, some of the later episodes, uh, mischaracterizations, for instance, of Peter um, you know, sort of really imposing um, preconceived ideas, I guess, uh, on the on the story itself. Um, so I, I haven't watched the rest of it. Now, you said it's a YouTube series. I wasn't even aware until you just asked the question that it was available on YouTube. So uh, if it's available on YouTube for free, I would love to watch it and see if it's good. And if, if so... I will comment about it as I see it. But I did enjoy the first one. I thought the acting was good. I thought the quality was good. And I thought the dramatic liberties they took with the scriptures were appropriate in that one episode. But I don't know about the others. So um, I'm going to be searching YouTube tomorrow and find out if I can find those things for free. 340-9585. Here is a question from Alexis. She asks, why is it harder to witness to family than to strangers? Alexis, a couple of things. Jesus set forth the principle, a prophet has no honor in his hometown. The people that knew him, there's a sense of familiarity uh, for, for family members. They know everything about you. They've seen your ups and your downs. Uh, they've seen uh, the, the, the sins that we're guilty of. And truthfully, when they see the power of God change you, well, you know, it's easier to focus on, well, you're just a hypocrite. Don't you pretend you're all holy around me? And I think that's really it. They don't, they don't want the light to shine on the darkness in their own lives. And so it's easier just for them to, to disregard you. Now, Alexis, here's one of those places where we really have to persevere and be patient. Because even though their initial reaction is usually, oh, don't you start preaching to me, um, they're watching. And over a period of time, it could be six weeks, six months, it could be years, but over a period of time, 
They're watching your life. And if you're faithful to rightly represent the Lord, if you trust him in your own lives and they see God's hand in your life, well, then they're going to notice that. And the Holy Spirit is going to use your faithfulness to convince them that Jesus is right for them as well. So it's it's hard for family. Uh, it's hard for people that know you well. Uh, when I got saved, um, believe me, the last thing anybody who really knew me wanted to hear from me was about Jesus. But you know what? They kept watching. They had to know something was different. And God was able to use that in their lives. So just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. And instead of witnessing to them, you know, proclaiming Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead, of course, you will have done that and they know that. But but just challenge them. Watch my life. Jesus is real. And I can't imagine heaven without you, so I want Jesus to be real to you too. And I promise you, you may not initially get the response that you'd hope for, but as they're watching, the Holy Spirit will... Let your light shine, and uh, nobody will be able to miss it. So just understand, it's harder. A prophet has no honor in his hometown. Jesus, remember the only place he could not, didn't say he would not, said he could not do any miracles, or many miracles, did a few, because of their unbelief. In his hometown, can you imagine what they missed out on? My goodness. Here's a question from James. Uh, my question is about Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. Does that guarantee we can be healed of illness or disease? Uh, James, that's classic prosperity, health and wealth doctrine teaching. Isaiah 53, 5 says nothing whatsoever about physical illness. The idea that if we just believe it, God's guaranteed it. And if we claim it, he has to heal us is pure nonsense and borders on blasphemy. So no, it does not. The only disease that Isaiah 53, 5 guarantees that we can be healed of is the disease of sin. That's codified twice in our New Testament. And all we have to do is understand, read in context, and then use our brains because there's a whole bunch of people in the New Testament, faithful servants of God, who didn't get healed. You know, the truth is everybody dies. James, quick story since nobody's calling today. Um, I had a, a, a man come in, this is a long time ago in our church, and um, looked like he, he was agreeing with the message. You know, he was one of those amen guys. And at the end of the service, he came up to me. Now, back then, I was wearing glasses. Now, my eyes are so bad, glasses don't even help. But but I was wearing glasses. And he came up to me, um, a, a guy older than me at the time. And he said, um, he, he was he was just looking, he said, you know, Pastor, I think you're setting a bad example for your people. And I said, well, my goodness, what bad example? He said, well, you know, you're wearing glasses and your people need to know that we can be healed. Now, I knew exactly where he was going, James. I knew exactly what he was saying. And the whole time he was talking to me, I was staring at his hair. He was losing his hair, and it was very gray. And I just was staring at his hair while I was talking to him. I was nodding my head and listening to him and engaging him in conversation. But he understood. He got really uncomfortable. He said, well, why are you looking at my hair? I said, well... If you really believe this, then you'd have a full head of black hair. And he walked away, shaking his head. But he was trying to spread this nonsense. I can't tell you, James, how many people I've seen hurt, deeply hurt, over this name it and claim it, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise teaching. So it is not a promise of the Bible. The the atonement says nothing whatsoever nothing whatsoever about physical healing. The atonement saves us from sin and the consequences of sin. Let's go to Jeff calling from San Antonio Online 1. Jeff, thanks for calling and bailing me out. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor R. Bach, how you doing hey, today? Hey. <laughs> there you go. I'm doing I well, I can't Jeff. help it. It's just... 
It just rolls off the tongue real easy. <laughs> hey, I, I've had trifocals since I was a kid. Is that, I mean, because I'm not praying to be healed? I don't think so. No, you, 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 yeah, you probably are, but you just don't have enough faith. Oh, I should have known that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, vo- I voted for Ross Perot today. I wrote his name in. <laughs> a little late, a dollar, a little late, and a dollar short, but, but, good. What's up, Jeff? I actually have a, I actually have a Bible question today. Um, uh, with with all this Halloween nonsense that was going on this past weekend. Um, First Samuel, uh, twenty eight. When, uh, when Saul was not hearing from God anymore, and the Philistines were gathering, and he decided to go to the medium. Mm-hmm. And uh, she recognized him, and but she called, supposedly called Samuel out from from the ground, from, from death. And there are a couple things I, I wanted to ask you, because I, I wonder if this is kind of one of these gray areas in that, script, in that scripture, or that passage. I mean, is it is it important to know whether it was actually Samuel or not? Because God, in, in, from what I sense, God could have been using that medium to uh, to get to Sam to, to get to Saul in a way that he used Satan with Job, or he used the the donkey. You know, um, is it important for us to say no? That was a demon that was actually speaking to Saul, or you know, do we even have to hang this one out to dry somewhere? Mm. You know what I mean? Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Interesting passage of Scripture, and we get a lot of questions about the Witch of Endor. A couple of things. When you use the phrase, um, using this medium to get to Saul, um, you remember that the only thing that got to Saul was a pronouncement of judgment. So so he was told by Samuel that that he and his sons are going to, Join his fathers. In other words, tomorrow you're going to die. This is this is your last day on earth. Tomorrow you're going to die. So it was a pronouncement of judgment. Um, uh, one of the reasons people have a hard time believing this was really Samuel is because God forbids um, speaking to the dead or praying to the dead or anything like seances or conjuring up the dead from the grave. But we need to remember two things. One is that God can break his own rules. This is one of those cases where he gave Saul what he wanted, but when he got it, it was a pronouncement of judgment rather than a pronouncement of blessing or, or, or a declaration that, that I'm going to rescue, I'm going to save you. Um, Saul, of course, wasn't hearing from God because Saul stopped being God's king a long time ago. Saul is one of those guys who started well and finished horribly, and there's no indication at all that Saul is, is going to be in heaven I think it's pretty clear that he's not. Um, and and um, God simply, when the witch of Endor started to, um, to, to, to seek familiar spirits, uh, you'll remember that she was the most surprised person in, in the whole place when Samuel actually came up. That's when she actually recognized Saul. She said, it is you, you're trying to trick me and uh, don't kill me kind of thing. And uh, and uh, he said he wasn't going to do that, but but she was the most surprised person in the world. And it was really Samuel. Samuel carried a message of judgment from God. And um, um, it's one of those things where we need to be careful what we ask for. And, of course, it's still wrong to pray to the dead, um, whether you're praying to Mary or the, the, the apostles or or your your dear departed mother. Um, that's an abomination to God. So we needn't do it. But here's the story. The lesson that we learn is that when Saul asked for it and God allowed it, the pronouncement ended in a declaration of judgment for Saul. So it really was Samuel. And I think that's really clear from the passage. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to line two. We've got Jimmy from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi. My name Hi, is Jimmy. I'm running for the president of the United States. <laughs> hey, my you got to vote. According to Jeff, you got to vote. <laughs> I already voted Friday. <laughs> but uh, what was I going to tell you? I shared this with um, 
I shared this uh, Revelations chapter 20 verse 4 with somebody and, and they don't want to respond to it or they don't want to believe it. I saw, I saw the thrones on which were seated those who in authority touch. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus. And because of the word of God, they had not worked or his anything had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. I know what, that. What problem? Come. Yeah, Jimmy, what problem did your friend have with that? They don't want to face the truth. They don't want to get, you know, and I just tell them, it's just so frustrating sometimes. Yeah. But, well, obviously this passage refers to um, uh, those who become believers during the Great Tribulation. Of course, for people like you and me, Jimmy, we will already be with Jesus and not go through the Great Tribulation. But uh, this is just basically the, 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 um, the, the Tribulation saints um, people that were left behind because they didn't believe, but when the rapture happens and the Spirit of God is going to be moving, there's 144,000 Jewish evangelists who are supernaturally empowered and protected. And so it's going to be the greatest um, uh, revival in the history of the world by far. And um, these are going to be the men and women who refuse to take the mark of the beast. And... Um, what what he says at the end in Revelation chapter 20, earlier in Revelation chapter 5, he says, I saw those who, who were tribulation martyrs under the throne of God crying out for vengeance. Well, at the end, uh, he sees them come to life and then they enter into the millennium uh, with the same kind of rights and privileges that we who are believers that have been raptured come to him with. So, um, you know, the people that won't accept Christ now uh, it's easy. It costs nothing. Um, they're certainly not going to accept Christ when it costs them their life to do so. Jimmy, I always love hearing from you and haven't heard from you for a couple of weeks, so thank you for calling very, very much. Let's go to James from Belmont, Texas. James, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, yeah, hey, uh, actually, I did vote for Ross Perot several years ago. Um <laughs> And to even reach back even uh, to a different caller, um, one of the things that I often find interesting whenever you're dealing, uh, the young lady that was uh, uh, discussing a relationship with uh, uh, the guys, um, Mm -hmm. usually sometimes I'll just ask, hey, why don't we take that up with one of the uh, elders or the preacher um, (laughs) and uh, just kind of check that out with them. And then usually that conversation ends pretty quick, or, or they uh, tell me I misunderstood, or, or whatever. Uh, although James, I have li- that I, issue I, with uh, women. Yeah, I, I, li- I like your style a lot. That's exactly the right thing to do. And, and uh, boy, that, that's a great suggestion for women. Well, why don't we go see Pastor Ron, or why don't we go see this pastor, and ask him what he says about you wanting to have sex with me before we're married. And, and almost and, always that'll cool their jets in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, actually, having um, said that, I uh, I definitely agree with you, though, that I don't even know if I would have gone there. I just think that you need to drop that phone number out of your uh, phone book. Um, my question was in relationship to Jesus uh, being fully divine. Um, did, did he use divinity to maintain his connection, or did he maintain his connection with the Father as a as as a human being, uh, as a man would by faith, yeah. you know, by trust in the Father, um, and and then also, if I could take that even a step further, um, in relationship to his miracles, was that the divinity, or was that the man, was that the relationship? I I just didn't know if maybe that's kind of a weird question. Uh, no, it's as that's actually a great question, James, and the me. answer is inspiring. Um, you know, uh, when, when Jesus was baptized, um, it says he came up out of the water, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. It wasn't a dove, but it looked like a dove, and that was a seminal moment in Jesus' ministry. That was that was at exactly the right time when the power of God came upon him. 
Now, we, we know from Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus veiled his deity. He considered the quality of God not to be held on to, but instead let go of it. It's a very vivid word picture in the Greek. And that means everything Jesus did on this earth, he did the same way you and I have to do it, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and he, you know, he didn't pull the God card. Remember, he said, I could call down 12 legions of angels. He didn't do that. Um, he simply followed the leading of the Holy Spirit and in so doing was setting an example for you and for me about how we can live our lives. So the man, Jesus Christ, who walked this earth, he happened to be God, we know that. His deity shone through on the Mount of Transfiguration, just one example. But he did everything by the leading of and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, a couple of things. You remember that the very first thing that the Holy Spirit uh, led him to do after that baptism event was led him into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days by the devil. I mean, we wouldn't think, well, I'm not in the will of God if I'm out in the wilderness being tempted by, by the devil. Well, Jesus was exactly in the will of God. It was the Spirit of God that led him out there. So that's very important. The other thing that we need to understand, James, is that everything Jesus did, he did because he saw his father do it. Everything he said, he said because he heard his father say it. So the connection Jesus had through the power of the Holy Spirit was completely dependent on his obedience to the Father in heaven. So he was the subjugated son of God. He remains the subjugated son of God. That's his role, the second person of the triune, triune God. Um, and, and everything he did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, for you and for me, when Jesus was tempted in all ways by sin as we are, but was without sin, well, that same power is available to us. That same power is available to us. It's very important, James, that we recognize that Jesus didn't pull the God card. Um, when the devil tried to get him to do that very thing, he, he responded with, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And, and other things, but, but it is written, it is written, it is written, was his response to the devil's temptation in exactly the same way we can respond. So it was the man Jesus who was tempted. It was the man Jesus who resisted temptation. And it was the man Jesus who did that by the power of the Holy Spirit that came upon him in his enunciation. Now, one thing I do want to make clear is uh, Jesus was given the Spirit without measure. And I would say, James, that you and I, well, let's, let's just say that, that our power is measured. And it's measured not by the request of God, but because of our own flesh, our own sin nature. We all have all of this power. The power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And we all have that power. We have all of it. We're lacking nothing. But when we quench the Holy Spirit or grieve the Holy Spirit with disobedience, then we're deactivating that power. And the result then is that we are sort of on our own doing the best we can. Jesus never got to that place because he had no sin nature like you have and like I have. But he walked his everyday life on this earth the same way you and I are told not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit. And I always add, in your name and for your glory. What a great question, James. Thank you very, very much. Last question for the day. Marianne wants to know, Pastor Ron, what does the Bible say about prenuptial agreements? Marianne, I've, I've been doing pre-marriage counseling for a very, very long time. And um, I've had this question come up maybe a dozen times. And every time I answer it the same way, if you need a prenuptial agreement as a Christian, you're marrying the wrong person. Period. The Bible says to become one flesh. Why do you need a prenuptial agreement with yourself if you're one flesh? If you're one flesh, you can't have secrets. You can't keep a secret from yourself. So prenuptial agreements are out of character with a godly marriage. It's that simple. If you don't trust somebody, why did you say yes? Or why did you ask a woman to marry if you don't trust them? Why, if you don't want to be one, 
why would you enter into a marriage agreement? So I'm, I'm, I'm really forceful in this, Marianne. It just, um, a prenuptial agreement suggests a lack of trust. It certainly indicates a lack of oneness in the marriage relationship. It speaks about different levels of commitment, certainly different than what God's ideal for marriage is. And I can't imagine if God brings a, a, a woman into uh, my life or Marianne brings a man into your life that uh, we would say, okay, God, this is the one. You brought him in or you brought her into my life. I, I can't imagine saying, well, how do I protect myself? So these are really, really important things to understand. And uh, honestly, if if uh, that question came up at the beginning of a, a pre-marriage counseling class, um, I, I wouldn't go any further with the pre-marriage counseling until we had an understanding and had that resolved. If you're trying to protect you, then God can't do it. So instead of that, just do what God tells you to do. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Remember, this is a night for Christians to be praying um, throughout the night. Just throughout the night. When you wake up, just pray. May our country be blessed. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.